This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only Legal Talk Network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce, and uh, I'm very glad to be with you today. We have a very special edition here on the Legal Talk Network of Workers' Comp Matters. We are recording the show today from Chicago. We are at the Intercontinental Hotel at the American Bar Association Tort Trial and Insurance Practice Section um, Seminar and Conference on National Trends and Emerging Issues uh, and Medical Disability Determinations that Affect Workers' Compensation Law. This is co-sponsored by both TIPS, the Tort Trial and Insurance Section, as well as the Workers' Comp and Employers Liability Committee of the ABA. We're very happy today to have as our guest Dr. Christopher Brigham. Uh, Dr. Brigham comes to us from Hawaii, where he is the founder and president of Brigham and Associates. He is a board-certified physician in occupational medicine. He is a fellow of the American Academy of Disability Evaluating Physicians and a fellow of the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine. Chris is also the senior contributing editor for the AMA Guide to the Evaluation of Permanent Impairment, 6th edition, which was released in December of 07 and is effective in... 2008. Hello, Chris, and welcome to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. Hi, Alan. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Let's let's start with uh, the AMA guides and the importance of the guides in workers' comp cases, considering the fact that we have many jurisdictions, including federal jurisdictions. Um, what are the relevant factors that make the AMA guides important in jurisdictions that rely heavily on them? We need to have a standard to define the impact of an injury or illness, a way to quantify that impairment, which is really quite distinct from the term of disability. And the AMA guides were developed to provide such a standard. There have been a series of editions of the guides. We now have our sixth edition of the guides. And most states use that as the underlying basis to define that impact, to define impairment. They use it in different ways. Uh, many jurisdictions still make use of older editions, the fourth and the fifth edition. However, a number of jurisdictions require the use of the most recent edition, therefore are making use of the new edition, the sixth edition. In addition, that is the uh, current one that is used in federal cases and in Longshore and Harbor Worker Act cases. It's also used beyond workers' comp. That's certainly our focus today, but used in automobile casualty, personal injury, and used internationally. And my understanding, and, and I'm from a jurisdiction, Massachusetts, which does not uh, require ex- uh, very much use of the AMA guides in our wage replacement system and in our no-fault auto system, but it's my understanding that jurisdictions in the auto liability field that require a threshold to be met before a plaintiff can bring a personal injury suit. Uh, some of these jurisdictions rely on the AMA guides as determining whether a victim of a motor vehicle accident meets a threshold to be able to bring an action. Is that a fair assessment of uh, the use of the guides in those jurisdictions? Yes, it's a fair ass- assessment. For example, in Florida, that would be the case. And in those jurisdictions, we want to make use of the most recent edition of the guides, similar way that we have old medical textbooks, we always use the most recent. 
Well, getting to the most recent edition, uh, is it not true that the publication of the sixth edition has uh, engendered a, a great deal of controversy concerning the change in methodology that the sixth edition has used as opposed to the earlier editions, as well as certain definitional changes that go into the um, classification of various impairments, spe- specifically by the claimant bar and people who represent injured workers? Well, maybe by the claimant bar, but I wouldn't use the term overall a, a great dispute or, or great concern. Uh, we've been involved in providing training uh, throughout the United States and Canada on the guides uh, and online training at www.impairment.com. And we poll the attendees. The vast majority of the attendees have had a very positive response to the changes that have occurred in the sixth edition. The standardizing the process, getting congruity among all the chapters in the guides. So there's been a positive response. However, there have been certain groups, the the mentioned the uh, plaintiff, the trial attorneys, who have some concerns because there have been some needed adjustments in some of the numbers. There are some small numbers that are now present that were not there before that had no rateable impairment. However, there are other cases that the impairments had changed. For example, some of the surgical cases had changed because we realized that when we do surgery for a patient or any type of treatment, we're improving their function. That's our goal as physicians, and therefore should decrease the impairment. In the past, we increased impairment for surgery. It just didn't make any sense. Now, impairment uh, prior to the sixth edition was defined as a deviation, loss, or loss of use of any body structure or body, or body function in an individual with a health condition, disorder, or disease. However, the sixth edition defines impairment as a significant deviation, loss, a loss of use of any body structure or body function. The inclusion of the word significant, could you explain why that has been inserted in the definition of impairment, which is the essence of, of uh, the guides, and what does that do to impairments that are there but are, quote, not significant, close quote? To be more consistent with the underlying methodology of the International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health, uh, in terms of the term significant, uh, for at least my own opinion, would be to be just more consistent with that terminology approach and not otherwise have any significance. However, as attorneys, that more sensitive to words perhaps than we are at times as physicians, and sometimes it gets us into difficulties. Now, Another main criticism of the sixth edition appears to be the elimination of pain as a, I'm going to use the term add-on to the objective losses of motion or other uh, functional abnormalities after, a, after an injury. Uh, explain to us why uh, pain has been downgraded, if not eliminated, as a consideration. Uh, and it's my understanding that pain has sort of been incorporated into the underlying ratings and therefore is not now used uh, as a further uh, additive? It's been incorporated into the functional considerations that in the approach in the sixth edition, we will take a diagnosis and go into one of five classes of impairment. And then we make adjustments and for consideration of function, physical examination, and clinical studies. So the factor of pain is part of the aspect of the functional adjustment. So we deal with it, but in a different way. 
The problem with pain is a subjective report. It may not always be reliable. Certainly, it can cause significant problems, particularly with disability, different concept than impairment. But our focus is on function rather than other subjective complaints. So the factors of pain are, are still dealt with, but in a different way. When you have, and I have many clients who uh, are substantially limited from working because of complaints of pain, uh, sometimes it can be ob- objectively determined, for example, in a post-surgical patient, there could be scar tissue at the site of a, uh, a disc operation in the back or, or in the neck. In other clients of mine, they might have uh, a chronic pain syndrome secondary to uh, the development of re- reflex sympathetic dystrophy or any of these pain-related uh, uh, disorders. Those, however, don't fit into your model, do they? And these people would be losing benefits because they don't fit within the so-called objective standards of di- this diagnostic model. There are a number of different aspects of, of that question. Let me address those. The first is to understand that impairment is not the same as disability. So I may have a patient with pain and be very disabled, but not having any quantifiable impairment. The uh, other issue is that some of the diagnoses we see, uh, complex regional pain syndrome, CRIPS, is a controversial diagnosis. And many times the diagnosis itself is very questionable. And therefore, we may have a patient who has been labeled as having this diagnosis and assumes certain behavior associated with that diagnosis, yet it's more on a psychological basis, and they haven't had an opportunity to have that resolved and dealt with in an appropriate way. So we need to keep clear that pain itself is a description. It's not a specific diagnosis, and the rating of pain is considered in the functional issues and more relates to the issue of disability and not impairment. Very critical distinction. Some critics of the uh, 6th edition have gone through the uh, ratings and the change in ratings for the common uh, body parts that are affected in industrial injuries and are predicting up to a 40% reduction in disability-related impairments. Uh, How do you comment on that degree of uh, reduction in disability uh, ratings. Based on my comparative analysis between the two editions, uh, I have no idea how they came up with a 40%. I'd really like to see their data because that's not consistent with the the observations that I've had. I would expect that there will will be some adjustments, uh, that there are some things that needed to be adjusted. The other thing we have to look at, Alan, is are we looking at a rating done correctly by the 5th edition. If we look, for example, at current uh, ratings that we're seeing with the 5th edition and look at how they're done and then go through and to correct those ratings, often we find that the ratings are substantially less. And that's because the nature of the guides, if you're less experienced in the use of the guides, it's more likely to increase a rating to overrate rather than underrate in, in treating issues. So if we look at that, those ratings before and then apply it to the, the erroneous ones and apply it to the new approach of the guides, which hopefully is easier to use and will result more correct rating, yes, you're going to see a reduction. But if we look at the process as it should have been done with the fifth to the sixth, overall it should be similar. 
Well, I'm looking for some, ex- some adjustments. I'm looking, for example, at the uh, 6th edition impairment rating for hip fracture, 12%. The 5th edition impairment for the same injury was 25%. Looking at intervertebral disc herniation at a single level, under the 5th edition, the impairment was 25%. Under the 6th edition, it's 7%. Now, you're looking at the issue, uh, I think those values that you're looking at are for that of a uh, a cervical disc herniation with a single-level fusion, which would be a Category 4 rating with the 5th edition. Now, at that point, those patients, those patients really do well, you know, often with minimal symptomatology and no significant loss of function. That's a great surgical procedure. But, you know, before, when we assign that impairment, do you know what that impairment is equivalent to, Alan? That impairment of 25 to 28% is equivalent to having an amputation just below the knee. So that didn't make sense. So that needed to be corrected. And there are other things that you'll, if you go through and look at, for example, knee replacements or hip replacements, the values are, are somewhat lower. They're adjusted because technologies have improved. So we have to not be as concerned, and often we have our own self-interests in how we look at a case and, and what the numbers are, is what really makes sense. Because as we get more effective at treating these conditions, we would hope that we have a better outcome and then a difference in terms of impairments. Thank you. There's one, there's one uh, aspect that has uh, caught my eye. I don't know why I was looking at it, but... Um Loss of sexual function in a man is, I think, rated at 15%, and loss of sexual function in a woman is rated at 20%. Uh, who did those tests? Um, <laughs> no comment on that. But the, the good news is for both, um, for both of us as we age, the reduction is not as dramatic as it used to be in the fifth edition. I'm not talking about the relative... <laughs> Uh, uh, but the smallness the number, of the number is the difference. <laughs> I have no explanation okay. for that. There's some things I just can't explain. Okay. Well, again, <laughs> that uh, has been among some of the criticisms I've seen of the guides that uh, some of the uh, – there's not a lot of internal consistency with respect to certain ratings, and there are some things that may be gender uh, uh, issues involved as well. But, uh, but, you know, Alan, is when we look at this, in this sixth edition is far from perfect. But it's responding to the concerns that have been raised before about how do we have a more consistent approach among all the chapters? How do we have an underlying methodology that makes sense? So it's a great stride forward. When I ask our attendees at the seminars or our live webinars at impairment.com, sixedition.com, is the response overall is very positive. It's... uh, and they recognize that this is a changing approach and one that will continue to evolve with the seventh edition. And I understand that is now in the beginning stages and is several years away, correct? Uh, probably in the next five to seven years, but actually in a few minutes I'll be in a meeting as we start to work on that and continue to improve that process. Well, thank you very much not only for being with us today at uh, Workers' Comp Matters, but for the work that you have put into uh, revising these guides and the criticisms and the challenges will continue, but uh, you must be co- congratulated for the work you've done in your career as an evaluating physician and the work you've done for the AMA. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. Pleasure to be with you. Now we'd like to get a different point of view with regard to the AMA guides, 6th edition. 
that I've been discussing with Dr. Brigham, and I now would like to welcome a second guest to this Workers' Comp Matters show, meet attorney Todd McFarren. Todd is a partner at Rucka, O'Boyle, Lombardo, and McKenna in Watsonville and Salinas, California. He's a workers' compensation attorney representing injured workers. Todd's past president of the Work Injury Law and Advocacy Group and the author of numerous articles, including AMA Guide's 6th edition Arrive on the Scene, published in the spring 2000 edition of Workers' First Watch, published by Willig. He'll discuss with us today the impact the 6th edition will have on injured worker benefits. Thank you for joining me, Todd. Thank you, Alan. Todd, um... We had, as you know, Dr. Brigham discussing the 6th edition and uh, how it compares to the 5th edition. You have uh, analyzed the AMA guides in the past, and you have analyzed the new 6th edition. Simply put, um, what is your basic problem and basic criticism of the 6th edition of the AMA guides as it impacts injured workers generally and workers' comp claims? Well, my estimate of it is it's about a 40% reduction from the fifth, and although it appears to have a more sophisticated conceptual framework and and talks about uh, measuring functional loss, in fact, it's diagnostic-based. And the fifth edition and predecessor editions, they were not diagnostic-based, is that correct? Well, they had anatomic, diagnostic, or functional uh, criteria, Um, but if you look at the muscular skeletal section within the sixth, it's just a, it's basically a diagnostic-based grid that they're using. So although they talk about taking into consideration functional loss, it doesn't appear, in fact, that they do. And just uh, help define for uh, me and our listeners, what is a diagnostic uh, evaluation? What does that mean? In other words, they're, they're rating the impairment based on the diagnosis rather than actually measuring functional loss. Can you give us some specific examples of the change between the 6th edition and the 5th edition um, as it affects the rating of impairment in different common body parts that are injured in work accidents? Uh, sure. For example, a total knee replacement uh, under the 5th edition was 20%. Under the 6th uh, edition, it's 15%. Uh, cervical, uh, a disc herniation at a single level was 18 under the 5th. Uh, it's down to 12 in the 6th. Uh, disc herniations, multiple levels, gone from 20 to a 15. Some of them are absolutely inexplicable, like uh, penile disease went from an 8 to a 5. A hernia went from a 30 to a 22. Um, I could go on, Alan. There's, there's numerous ones. Um, there's a, a variety of sort of strange rules of application as well in the six, like the, the first uh, nerve entrapment in the arm, you get full value for. If you have a second entrapment, you get only 50%. If you get the third entrapment, you get zero. And the sixth actually says if you have more than three, it's probably non-industrial. And how are, how are different jurisdictions using the AMA guides? You can start with California if, if they are important in the evaluation of injuries and the setting of uh, dollars that injured workers get and what's your understanding as far as the other jurisdictions that rely on these guides. Well, the, the California is, is still uses the fifth. It's in, in the statute, unlike about 15 other states that say the latest edition. So they, they've got the sixth um, sort of sight unseen. But uh, in California, it starts with the impairment rating from the guides, and then they have a, a factor in a, what they call a functional earning capacity modifier that 
in terms of the relative severity between body parts and then age and occupation to come out with a disability number. Okay, so that so at least California doesn't rely exclusively on the guides to, to be the uh, be-all and end-all of uh, um, equation of dollars for, for the effects of an injury. Uh, are there some jurisdictions that treat it the other way, that you get your impairment rating from the guides and your dollar benefit is, is tied directly to that? Yes. Uh, Georgia, it's my understanding, is uh, the dollars are directly related to the impairment rating. There, there are no mediating factors. Um, that was actually a bone of contention in the, in the Texas Garcia case uh, a few years back where they said that the guides were constitutional as long as there was some, some intervening criteria between an impairment rating and the, and the benefit dollars. So uh, I don't know if Georgia has actually uh, tried to challenge it constitutionally, uh, but the basic idea is that impairment is not disability. So if you just go directly from impairment to disability dollars, it's, it's not a proper model for evaluating the permanent consequences of injuries. Well, Dr. Brigham did make that point in uh, our interview a few minutes ago. As you, as you heard, he indicated uh, there, are, there is a very clear distinction between impairment and disability and that the guides only are limited to, uh, an, uh, to measuring an impairment and their goal was to do it in as objective a fashion as possible and leaving to the adjudicators or the respective comp systems the determination of how uh, the impairment translates to a disability, recognizing that disability encompasses things other than simply impairment. Conceptually, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know if you have a problem with that. The problem I see it is the states and jurisdictions that don't recognize that distinction, that take the guides as being equivalent to not only impairment, but translating it to a disability as well. Well, that's true. They do say, they have that caveat in there that impairment is different than disability, but it's sort of done with a, a wink and a nod, frankly. I mean, it is being used to evaluate disability, and, and I'm told by the epidemiologists and the social scientists that look at that is there's really no way to translate an impairment rating into a disability rating, no matter what modifying factors you use. You can go from a work restriction to uh, to calculate wage loss. There's a lot of uh, modeling done on that in literature, but from impairment to disability, it's just there, there seems to be no causative relationship. We talked, uh, as you heard, about the concept of pain and how the concept of pain, which in essence is, is probably more subjective than objective, if not entirely subjective, depends who you're listening to, uh, what, in what way or ways have pain changed in the formula of coming up with a disability or an strike that an impairment rating under the sixth edition as compared to the earlier? Well, you know, your pain is subjective, Alan. My pain's really objective. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what, what they've done essentially, uh, they used to have a 3% add-on for pain that you could add on to the conventional impairment rating in previous, in the, in the fifth edition. The sixth edition is essentially done away with pain. The only way you can get an add-on for pain is for a post-concussion headache or, or some very specific non-migrainous headache uh, where examples of maybe get a 1%, 2%, but they've done away completely with the pain add-on. And uh, obviously there's a subjective element to pain, but uh, ironically enough, the, the whole person impairment in the sixth is based on at least theoretically, on the percentage of loss of activities of daily living, which Dr. Brigham says is subjective, and 
If it is, why would they use that as the common metric for evaluating whole person impairment? It's a bit confusing. What is your understanding as to the um, the parties who who uh, contributed to the analysis of the guides to come up with the sixth edition? Did it include a, a significant cross section of of uh, stakeholders in in the various systems that utilize the guides? Unfortunately, not. It's it's pretty much a insurance industry uh, folks. Um, I'm sure they're you know from their point of view they're doing honest work, but they really didn't have any. Uh, applicants or, or plaintiff side of the bar kind of uh, doctors that look at things a little bit differently. Um, if you look at the editorial board uh, and the advisory board, it's pretty much made up of doctors that do 90 to 95% insurance company work. And it's marketed to the insurance companies. Uh, Dr. Brigham's classes are marketed to claims adjusters. And if you look at his literature, um, he's quite a successful entrepreneur in that regard. It's here in Chicago, both the ABA TIPS uh, section as well as uh, the Willig folks, the Workers uh, Injury Law and Advocacy Group, uh, who are present, uh, have had some discussions and, and subcommittee meetings to discuss how to deal with the uh, sixth edition. What do you see on the horizon in the different states that are going to be feeling the impact of the reduced ratings in the sixth edition? Well, I'm thinking it's really going to come to a head. Um, if you really sort of look at the history of what's been going on, there's been an eclipse of disability, uh, the use of disability as a concept in workers' comp and, and sort of ratcheted down to impairment as the, as the measure for the permanent consequences of injuries. And, and the sixth edition, I think, is ratcheted down so far that there's going to be some backlash. And we've already seen that in Kentucky and Iowa and Ohio and Vermont uh, are already pushing back and they've they've passed some uh, laws or administrative directives to stay with the fifth and not move to the sixth. Well, uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Todd. This is clearly a topic that will be discussed for some time to come. If our listeners want to reach you, what's the best way to contact you? I'm at uh, 119 East Beach Street in Watsonville, California, and my phone number is 831-728-4200. And if anybody out there would like a copy of Todd's uh, analysis of the six edition guides, uh, you can contact me through Legal Talk Network, www.legaltalknetwork.com. There's uh, a contact information there, or I'm in Salem, Massachusetts, Attorney Alan Pierce, and I'd be happy to uh, email or fax you a copy of Todd's article. Well, Todd, again, thanks very much for being with us today and for Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce saying, go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.